titled this sermon, Is There Anything There, There? Except it's so horribly and grossly trendy to say there, there after sentences that don't make sense. I don't want to use it. But, but that would be a good way to, to start off this sermon. Is there anything there, there? Is there anything substantive, real, about ordination and the laying on of hands there at that ritual, that ceremony? Or is it just a ceremonial relic of some sort? You can turn that down just a little bit. Is it just something that we do to, to prop up the authority of the church? What is this thing, the laying on of hands? This morning in our first service, and we had an ordination service. Alan Tweed to the office of elder. The elders walked forward. There was a circle around him. They laid hands upon him. There was a prayer. Is there anything there? There? What does the laying on of hands mean, really? Is it really important? And if so, why? And how would it change not only the way that Alan will serve this office, but the way that we would respond to his service? Those are the three questions uh, that we want to pursue this morning. Those are the, where are we now? Afternoon. Let's pray first. Father, we do need you to come. We are not unaware that, that most, honestly, have lost any sense of significance to ordination. We know, Lord, that many see it with understandably skeptical eyes. We need, Lord, for you to clarify for us what has been lost for at least a generation. Is there, Lord, anything there in this laying on of hands ritual and this calling that is an ordained calling? We pray you'd come and surprise us if you want. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So this question, what does it mean? I mean, listen to the way this passage began. Do not neglect the gift. Now right there, we stop. The gift. This word is charismata. Uh, the translation most often is spiritual gift. Let me tell you what I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to show you why I'm going to tell you this. This word is a very powerful and significant word. But it's just, at the gist of it, there is a very real and supernatural transaction by the Holy Spirit upon a recipient wherein the charismatic charismata, the charismatic power and grace of God is conferred as fitting the duties and responsibilities of the office upon the person who is called to serve in that that was a mouthful. I'm going to say it one more time. Just in case you're thinking, did I really hear him say that? I'm going to say it again. There is a very real and supernatural transaction by the Holy Spirit upon a recipient wherein the charismatic power and grace of God is conferred as fitting the duties and responsibilities of the office 
unto the person who is called to serve us. Charismata. That's what Paul calls this thing, this event that now he's going to command Timothy never to neglect. Notice the way this word is used elsewhere. 1 Corinthians, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Clearly, we believe in spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. What's he talking about, these spiritual gifts? And in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4, it gets even more focused on what's happening here particularly. While God also bore witness that by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. If you were in any doubt that there is a there there, we've got the answer. There is something happening. Because it's attributed even to the context in that verse 14 with the laying on of hands. You see, throughout the Old, and this is not a new concept, throughout the Old and the New Testaments, there is this laying on of hands, and it is most often, in fact, in fact, always associated with anointing of the Holy Spirit, an anointing of God's Spirit upon a person who is called to serve, who is called to fill an office within the church, within Israel, whatever, a commissioning maybe. But there's a very close association with that. Notice, for instance, the way it's used in Acts 9. And this particularly now is related to the laying on of hands said differently. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands upon him, he said, Brother Saul, this is the actual ordination of Paul to the office of apostle going on here. And he said to him, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's English. And it's also Greek. 1 Timothy 1.6 says this. And it's interesting because it's related, you see, to the, spirit, to the laying on hands. For this reason, I remind you to fan the flame of the gift of God. What would it mean to, flang, to, I mean, to fan the flame? Clearly, this idea of a flame is there's something alive, powerful, spiritual. We are charismatic church. You need to know that. We believe in the spiritual gifts. You need to know that. We believe in the supernatural spiritual gifts. You need to know that. It's there. We don't deny it. Quite the contrary. We affirm it. We embrace it. We get excited by it when we experience it. What is a gift of the Spirit? It is a supernatural thing. It requires a supernatural transformational empowerment or an endowment of the Holy Spirit. We will locate this work in the very ways that the Scripture will locate it. Regeneration, sanctification, perseverance, faith, all of these things, things that, that are acquired by the work of the Holy Spirit. There is a subjectiveness to this. That is to say, it's, it's happening upon a human, it's happening to us. 
in an individual way that doesn't necessarily, though, this is key, there's nothing in the scripture that says that, that therefore we are given supernaturally what is elsewhere in scripture described as natural or natural gifts or aptitudes. Let me try to explain. You know, when I became a Christian, I mean, I was, became a Christian in the context that believed in spiritual gifts as we do, but, but believed in them in a little different way. And, you know, there was a spiritual gift seminar. And I went because I wanted to be filled with the Spirit. And I was asking for the gift of tongues. And I was asking for the gift, what would I like to do in the church? You know, I'm a young man, ambitious. I'd like to be a teacher. So I'm asking for the gifts of teaching. Now, both of those cases are situations which I won't have time to delve into later, maybe over a beer later. But at the heart of that, I was missing a misunderstanding what's happening here. You see, what's happening is that, that God fearfully and wonderfully makes a person like Paul. He gives him whatever natural nurture that he might have, but, but when he calls him to fulfill an office, a sacred and holy office, there is an endowment of the Spirit which is given to him, which therefore will enliven his natural capacities and gifts, which will enable those gifts to serve not himself, but, but to the church, that will give him a true power and grace in the exercise of that vocational office in a manner in which he will be able to fulfill what God has in store for him in that office. And you're thinking, okay, Preston, you're, you're taking me off a little bit. Well, remember Ephesians 4. Remember last week we talked about false prophecy and all that. We're going to get into that in a minute. But I told you don't believe a word I said. Didn't I tell you that? So don't believe a word I said. Because I'm not the authority here, right? But Ephesians 4, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a captive host, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this is a context where he's describing, literally, the, the services of the church. You'll never find it outside of that context. This is not just that me individually praying in the Spirit can receive a special gift or ability so that I can now use it wherever I go. When people walk in the house and say, hey, I, my spiritual gift is blank, you know, well, I'm, I'm really nice. I know y'all don't think that, but I'm, I can be nice. But, but privately I'm saying, well, I already know what I'm not going to be doing here. <laughs> you see, it's a wrong question. Because gifts, the spiritual gifts, are always relative to the church and to the vocations that are within this church that are needing to be filled. And it may be true that this person has, quote, the gift of teaching. But how would you know except that it's discerned within the body of Christ? And that's why it's such a communal event. These spiritual empowerments then is not for the individual per se, but for the church. It is always related to enabling someone to fulfill a calling. Gifts, in fact, and calling are always interchangeable. For instance, here's an example, Romans eleven twenty nine. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. You see what Paul's doing here? The gifts and the calling of God, that's a classic Pauline use of the uh, Greek word chi. It's this idea of calling that is gifts. It, they're so, so closely associated. Spiritual gifts is a calling. But do not diminish it. 
is a calling endowed with the Holy Spirit. So in this sense, we'd call it a, you could almost talk about ordination. The laying on of hands is, is related here in this passage to the charismata, the, the endowment of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to want to talk more about that. It doesn't mean that there's this a momentary, immediate, you know, bing, you know, and this human being walks out different. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit hasn't been endowing him in order to be ordained, even as he will continue to endow him in order to be, uh, to execute and, and to serve as in his office of elder. It just means that the Holy Spirit had to do a work in his life in order for him to use whatever God has gifted him with naturally in a manner that would serve the interests of Christ in his church. And it's real. I don't mean to suggest this is just a kind of uh, authorization endowment. It's a real, true, spiritual power and grace at play. And we see it throughout. And he's even going to flame it in this passage. And we'll talk about that. So that's the first question. What does it mean? The laying on of hands means that that there is, a, an, a, there is a, a true kind of a sign and seal event wherein God transacts the spiritual power and grace for a human to fulfill an un, just a superhuman kind of calling. Number two question, remember it? Well, then, is it really so important? If so, why? You remember last week we talked about how Timothy is just oozing. I mean, there's nothing hardly that Paul says in this epistle that isn't informed by his deep, deep concern for the growing influence of false elders, false prophets. Whether it's teaching or ruling elder, we can talk about that in a minute, and you don't even know what I'm talking about, that'll be fine, I'll get there in a minute. But, but this idea that, that everywhere you see is this, this context Right before he said this passage that we're reading here in Timothy, he says, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings. And so why is the laying on of hands so important? Well, the passage that I think really helps us understand is in 2 Timothy, chapter 2. Here's what he says. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. There it is, this idea of the grace of, of a calling. He's not talking about the grace of, of justification here. He's talking about that grace that's been given to you, that spiritual gift. And what you, he says, so it was what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, are we charismatic? What do we say? Are we a charismatic church? Yes. Do we believe in spiritual gifts? Yes. Let me ask you another question. Do we believe in apostolic succession? Yes, we do. Again, we want to define it biblically. Here we have it. There's four generations in what I just read to you. Jesus to Paul, Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful others. There you go. Four generations of laying on of hands. And this idea of why is that so important? Not only is there substance in this, this, uh, this in ordina- not only does ordination point to something real and spiritual and powerful and gracious, 
But there's also an authorization going on. Remember what we said last week and what we're going to say again. Test the spirits. I mean, I don't have to ask the, the question, is there the liturgy of the laying on of hands? It's in the Bible all over the place. I don't have to ask even other questions. But what I want to ask right now is, is this biblical? Is How do I know that this isn't the church wandering off the faith with all these superficial ceremonies and rituals? I hope you're asking that question. This thing's been done for about three generations, and no one bothered to tell anybody what it meant and why we're doing it. Thank God your generation's coming along and saying, I, I ain't believing it no more unless you show it. Keep doing it, guys. So ask me the question. Why is it so important? It's because we're, it's an indication of the apostolic succession. An apostolic succession that is to test the spirits. What? Not by listening to some private voice, as the quasi-gnostic false elders were doing in their day. Being careful to read the Old and the New Testament in a proper in, in a way, which is what we're doing even down in Sunday school if you weren't there today. But the key thing, remember we said, is that do we believe in prophecy? By the way, do we believe in prophecy? You should know the answer by now after last week if you were here. Yes, we do. Do we believe in supernatural prophecy? Yes, we do. Do we believe that we need to test the spirits of that prophecy? Yep, we do. How would you test those spirits? We saw last week as measured against the standard of the apostolic prophecy. Prophesying today is preaching, teaching, leading upon the foundation of the apostles. We see that in Ephesians 2, that, that the prophets and the apostles are lumped together as, a, as this kind of as a foundational kind of a ministry which establishes by supernatural revelation to them a foundation of doctrine, of how we govern ourselves, of how we worship, a foundation that is in the scripture, which then all other prophesying is meant to be measured. That's exactly what's been going on in all of these Pauline letters. The emergence of false prophets who are wandering away from the apostolic faith. That's why Paul starts this letter. Do you remember how he starts the letter? He starts off saying, I, apostle, by explicit command of God. <clears throat> it's your attention, he says. I mean, this isn't, this came to me by explicit command of God. I'm not here because I self-appointed myself. I'm here because God came to me in the resurrected Christ. And he commanded me. That's why I have the letter. Preston Graham doesn't have that kind of call. At best, I will therefore preach what Christ by the Holy Spirit gave Paul and Peter and John, etc. And so there you have it. Why is it important? Especially in these latter days as he describes it. In the context where we already told, we're not even in the first century yet, and there's already the church wandering away. We're told explicitly, expect to it to happen. In these days, then we're going to test the Spirit. So, so Alan Tweed walks up to me, and he didn't. <laughs> he wouldn't ever. In fact, most people called to a ministry are kind of running a little bit from it. And he says, you know, but if you say, I, I got the gift of eldership. Well, I'm going to test the Spirit, aren't I? 
or we think he does, or somebody thinks he does. You're going to test the spirit, and we're going to do it. And that's what this means. That is to say, if such prophecy is contained in the Old New Testament scriptures alone, when that passage says, according to the laying on of the prophecy of the laying on of hands, what's being said there, and those are the exact words you remember, is that this laying on of hands is wanting to direct you to two things. One, that there is a real charismata happening here and in the life of this man as related to the gift that he's called to do. And yet we must be called to discern that gift as measured against the prophecy of Holy Scripture. And yes, if you were to look in Scripture, you may be surprised to find out. Do we know that there is such an office as the office of elder? We'll go read 1 Timothy chapter 5, 17. He speaks of the elder office. There's two types, teaching elders, ruling elders. Teachers that are apt, or elders are apt to teach, teachers that are more, more to assist the, el, the, the teaching elder in the government and rule of the church. In fact, I could tell you that there's never been a time in redemptive history, starting all the way back to, to the patriarchal era, where there wasn't a twofold office of, of whether you call it teaching elder, ruling elder, priest, and, and heads of households, whatever you want to call it, there was always this twofold trajectory, all the way into the New Testament uh, era, first century era, and the Jewish Sanhedrin. In fact, you could go to the Bible, and when you see these salutations, it's odd. Many times, the salutation will be on behalf of two offices, say the apostle, and in various ways of saying it, sometimes deacon, sometimes elder, and this other office. We believe this office was by divine command given to the church. That then raises the next question. Okay, so Christ would certainly not give us an office and not give us this standard of what would qualify a person for office. We'll check that one off again. 1 Timothy 3, 1 Peter 5, and throughout the Old and New Testament you can see many, many aspects of this. We got a voluminous amount of information on the care, and in the in the summary of which is what you heard read today. He says, "Keep." A, what does it mean to fan? What does it mean to be not to neglect the gift that was given by prophecy through the laying on of hands? Now we've worked through that. He says this, verse sixteen: "Keep a close watch on yourself. That is my life, character, who I am, how I live my life, how I treat my family. You can go right through this gift, this list." And your teaching. Again, you could read chapter 3, beginning verse 11, and it's a whole list of, of character qualifications. And so, sure, watch yourself. Fan the flame. Continue to pursue holiness and godliness and grace and love. But then he also will say, you know, in your teachings. Then you're going to say, well, where do we find those? You don't find it in Timothy in an explicit way. He alludes to it earlier in terms of the word sound doctrine, which therefore, of course, assumes that there is a recognition of this doctrine that is healthy, the word sound. Where would you get that? Well, if you've ever read Romans, you'd get it. You know, if you ever read all, all through the book, through this, very clear presentation of what we believe that we call the gospel. And then laying on of hands, do we have evidence that that's important? We see it in the Old and in the New in connection with the calling to the office of elder. All right. 
We've answered two questions. We've got one more. Then how would it change not only the way Alan will serve the office, but how we will respond to his service? The key word here, do not neglect. This is an incredibly important command of anyone who would know who feels led. There is absolutely no greater temptation than to neglect an office of the church. You think, oh, I wouldn't have expected that, I know. Everybody thinks, you know, I'm going to tell you why. This thing, authorized by God, to a task that only God could envision. The greatest hindrance to exercising this office of governing and shepherding and disciplining is that we know we're not up to it, that we're sinners. It's an incredible temptation to lack the confidence. Paul is very concerned about this at Timothy. He says it in many instances. Don't, you know, don't let him look down on your youth, Timothy. Evidently, he was, he was neglecting the gift in fear of man. Don't, don't do that. Have the confidence. You were anointed of God by the Holy Spirit. Your confidence, though, is not in yourself. It's in the Spirit who will give you the words, who will give you the strength, who will give you the wisdom, certainly as derived by a study of Scripture with the community and all these other things. But believe that this endowment and the authorization that you have, they come together, endowment and authorization, where you, Alan Tweed, So one of the reasons that I think we're tempted to not fulfill it as an elder is that we don't think we're capable of it. And two, honestly, probably the greatest, second greatest is we're not so sure that people want it. It's true. I mean, we live in an era. I mean, just think about it. You know, we live in an era that probably has a real skeptical, cynical view of authority whatsoever in our lives. I mean, we are the nation that's against kings. We don't trust authority very much. And, of course, that dovetails nicely to the sin nature that wants no one in authority in the, for the sake of having that confidence. And so it's very hard to push yourself on something. It's very hard to, to, to be proactive, and yet the very things, as you're going to see, the very things that the office of elder is called to do they are not passive. They are active. They are not waiting for someone to come to me. Most, if not 90%, of what we are called to do as elders is proactive. It's not sitting in the office waiting for someone to make a phone call. I need to talk to you. Oh, I wish that would happen. We'll see later. That's exactly what you can do to help your elder. But most of the time, it's, it's having to initiate. And initiate to someone who, I don't blame them, I wouldn't believe in me either. Or, in a context where we all talk about the dangers of, of any kind of leadership, trying to qualify everything we do so as not to be associated with all the horrible things that have happened in people's lives through horribly exercised leadership. And Paul says, don't neglect it. It's essential. It's essential to this. 
And so he says, flame, fan the flame. How does he say that in verse 5? Don't neglect it. Verse 5, the second command, therefore practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. That is, don't start studying. Don't stop praying. Don't stop exercising that spiritual muscle of shepherdship, of leadership, of teaching, whatever it is. Fan the flame. Use it even when you're not confident in yourself. Use it in season and out season. Even when it isn't popular or vogue or hip or whatever you want to call it. Use it even when they don't want you to use it. That's what he's saying. Fan it. Fan that flame of the Spirit. Believe in me, the Holy Spirit. Why? To remember this gift is from God. And it's for the people. And without it, they would lack something essential. And that is the media church, the body of Christ, as they're called. You see, I don't know about you, but I, I really never quite bought into that great commission line in chapter 28 of Matthew where it says, and lo, I am with you always as he's taken off to heaven. I mean, even my early Christianity, that was a big stumbling block. I said, I'm, that's just yet another example of spiritual speak. If you begin to understand this, if you look at the quotes that I put in your bulletin, do you truly believe that there is a real presence of Christ in this table tonight? Yes, the laying on of hands is a sign directing you to the authorization of God and directing you to the gift of God, but we think there's a spiritual relationship between the sign and the thing that is signified, which is that there is presence there. There is reality there, apart from which you would lack the fullness of Christ, Paul says. You would be half your life. Don't neglect it. What does it say about the church, therefore? Well, the first thing I'd say to you is be encouraged. One of the sure signs that God is for you and not against you, one of the sure signs that God is at work in your midst is to, is to move heaven and earth as it must be moved in order to raise up those who can serve within the offices that Christ has given to his church by the Holy Spirit. And if you know your own life, I mean, how complicated is your life? Pretty complicated, right? I mean, life is pretty complicated. And just try now, you got a job, and maybe you have a family, maybe you don't. That's not necessarily a prerequisite to being an elder. And of course, you have your personal life your sins and all your emotions and all your ups and downs. But you live in a world that it's like Egypt. He keeps asking you to, to, to build more bricks with less and less resources. It's complicated. I mean, how, I want, I can't even believe it. It's a, to me now that I'm doing this, I can't believe anybody volunteers for this job. And yet the Holy Spirit moves mountains in people's lives. And it's a spiritual all these 
these complicated things come together. It is a sign to you that God is with you. And you have laying on of hands in your name. Be encouraged. Secondly, of course, we need to be respectful, thankful, compliant. To obey them in the Lord. But most importantly, according to Hebrews 13 and 7, it talks about how we are to uh, pray for them, but most importantly, that we are to, to welcome them in your life. That's the real challenge I want to give to you. You can't believe how hard it is for your elder to come visit you. Emotionally, physically, intellectually, it's hard. It's hard for your elder to talk to you about your life. Even to ask the question and look in the eye that looks at me and say, oh, here it comes. It's hard. The thing that you can do according to Hebrews 13.7 is to welcome them. And it goes on to say, for, for this is good for your soul. Do it for yourself. When a person calls up and says, how you doing? And it's the pastor elder calling or something, right? How you doing? Oh, God, how can I get out of this room? I mean, I know. <laughs> okay, you know, the Holy Spirit's moving. You didn't need some weirdo flame bush to come at me. It just did. The Holy Spirit is moving. Open the door. Say, thank you for asking. The fact of the matter is I'm See what power the Holy Spirit will bring into your life. And when they let you down, don't stop welcoming them. They are not infallible, these elders. They are very fallible. They will say some things that may need to be checked. And there's a method to check that. The Holy Scripture. And get the community context maybe brought into play. But welcome them. Welcome the grace and power is the given of the church through Jesus Christ, the Lord, who is present with you till today. Though you weren't able to witness the, the, the ceremony, we're going to pray. We're going to pray for this elder. We're going to pray for our church. We're going to even stand by virtue of a virtual vow, if you will. And as we do that, let's prepare our hearts to hear the question and to enter into the liturgy.